Part of the reason why you show up here on Sunday morning is to hear from God's Word. And God is going to speak once again through His Word. And we want to be a people who listen. And so to that end, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we ask you to incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Our hearts are inclined in a lot of different places this morning to benefit ourselves, and I just ask that you would incline them to your testimonies. I ask that you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word. Too many times we study your word and we see nothing wonderful. May we see the wondrous beauty of your truth this morning. We also ask that you unite our hearts to fear your name. At times, our hearts are divided. We ask this morning we bring it together so that we fear you in a healthy way and worship you. And Lord, finally, we ask that you would satisfy us this morning with your unfailing love that we may rejoice to be glad all our days. We want joy in you, joy in your truth, joy in your word. And to that end, we pray in the name of our King Jesus. Amen. After college, I decided to go to grad school, and grad school for me would be called seminary. And I didn't know which one to go to, so I visited several. I visited schools in Atlanta, Durham, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Dallas. And during that time, I spent uh, many hours praying this. God, if you'll just tell me what to do, then I will do it. And eventually, I ended up going to Dallas Seminary. At the end of my seminary years, I was locked in on a certain girl that I wanted to marry. But I come from a background of divorced parents, and I was really nervous about entering marriage and kind of freaking out. And so I spent hours praying once again, God, if you'll just tell me what to do, then I'll do it. And after a while, I eventually married the woman who is now my wife. Chances are that some of you are trying to make some decisions in life. Perhaps they're big. I don't know. Maybe they are. And all you're doing is like well, what I was doing. You're just praying. God, if you'll just tell me what to do, then I'll do it. It's as if... God, if he would just somehow, maybe audibly, I don't know, but if he would just speak to you, you would be like, good, now I know what you want me to do, and now I'm going to do it. Can I just stop for a moment and say, I'm a little skeptical. I'm a little skeptical. Like, really, if God told you what he wants you to do, you would really do it. I'm not being harsh or anything, but I'm a little skeptical. Uh, let me tell you why. All right, let's just, let's, here's, a, here's a little common scenario, okay? Just humor me for a moment, all right? Let's just say there's a guy in here. And now, I'm not saying I know any of the guy's stories in here personally. I have no particular guy in mind, so don't freak out. But let's just say there's some guy in here who really wants to ask a girl out that he's been, 
uh, interested in for a very long time, and he spent many hours praying, and he's saying, God, should I ask this girl out? Give me wisdom. What am I supposed to do? God, if you just tell me what I'm supposed to do, then I'll do it. Now, what if God audibly spoke? And what if he said this? You want to hear from me? I've already told you so many things that I want you to do to grow from my word, and yet you've been ignoring them. And now you want to talk to me about leading and loving some girl when you can't even lead your own life? And you want me to speak to you? Are you kidding me? Do you think he would say that? What do you think? I think sometimes we want, we want God to speak to us and guide us, but we are not too eager to pay attention to what he's already said. So we say, God, speak to us. And he's like, yeah, I spoke to you. And you go, no, not this stuff. Come on, something else. Not this. God, I want to know the 10-year plan for my life. Tell me. I'll just, I'll just take 10 months. Tell me. And God's like, how about the next 10 minutes? You want to talk about the next 10 minutes? Let's do that. And that's the way God is speaking to us constantly in his word, through his word. Let's talk about the next 10 minutes. But oftentimes we're like, I don't mean this. And so we don't listen. Did you know there have been times in the history of God's people where he stopped talking? He stopped talking because no one was listening anymore. So he just said, forget it. I'm not going to talk anymore. And there was this period during the time of Israel where we are told that his word was very rare. Uh, People's hearts were hard. They didn't want to obey. And so God's like, if you don't want to listen to me, I'm going to stop talking to you. God was speaking to his people during the time of Moses. He was speaking during the time of Joshua. But the time of this period called the Judges was, was a period of great sin on the part of God's people. And he's like, all right, I'm, I'm done talking to you. And that's the way we have entered the book of 1 Samuel. The people of Israel are far from God. The priests are far from God. They have perverted the worship of God. And God has stopped talking. But in his grace, a shift is about to occur because it looks like there are some people on the scene who want to start listening to what he wants to say. And it's going to be this guy named Samuel. And eventually it's going to be this king named David. And by grace, those who want to listen, God's like, well, let's talk. I'm going to speak truth to you if you're ready to listen. And by grace, he still speaks today. Are you one of those who are ready to listen? By grace, he will speak. Well, let's go back to our story where we've been over the past four weeks. In the book of 1 Samuel, we have now come to chapter 3. And we have a young teenager named Samuel serving at the temple of the Lord. Very famous story probably read it to your kids 
when they were growing up. This is famous story, 1 Samuel 3. But there's probably some things in here that you'll be surprised of. Let's look at it. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. Now, the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So Samuel is doing his priestly duties, and he's being groomed by Eli to be a priest in training. And during this time, we are told, did you see it there? That the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And by that, it was meant there was no frequent vision. Have you ever heard that verse? Uh, maybe you've quoted it for where there is no vision, the people perish. Remember that verse? Now, I hate to break it to you, but that, that's not meant as a motivational speech for leaders to get a vision so they can lead their companies. So please don't use that verse that way. Please stop doing that. Let's actually look at what the verse says. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. The idea here of vision is when a prophetic word is coming. A prophet is speaking the truth of God's word. It's talking about a prophetic vision. And it's a terrible thing when the Lord does not speak. Because when the Lord does not speak, people cast off restraint. That means they just start doing what they want to do. The prophet Amos once spoke about a time where there was a famine in the land. But he didn't mean a famine of food. He meant a famine of the word of God, where, where God stopped speaking. I, I was reading this week about an organization. An organization was doing something called theological famine relief. And in this theological famine relief, they would get these theological books and they would send them to other countries, uh, to indigenous church leaders who didn't have resources. Now, that's a famine, that's a, that's a famine of, a, of hunger, of wanting the word of God. That's positive. But the famine spoken of during the time of Israel was not like that. It was a famine of the word of God because people stopped listening. They stopped obeying. They were steeped in their sin, so the word of the Lord was rare. In fact, we are told from the book of Judges, and Judges 21, 25, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the Lord's speaking, but people aren't listening. But something is about to change. Let's look at it. Verse 2. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Let's make some symbolic connections if you're up for that, all right? I, I think these may be the connections we are to see, but let me just throw them out there. Right now, the priest is Eli, and we are told that his eyesight began to grow dim so that he could not see. It seems like that was kind of reflective of the spiritual blindness throughout the land of Israel. But there was hope. Because just as the nightlight, or if you see it there, the lamp of God had not yet gone out in the temple, so once again God would shine the light of his word into the darkness of the land. And the one who was to receive the word was this guy named Samuel, who perhaps symbolically we see here, He is lying in the temple, and he's lying close to the ark. And the ark is holding 
the word of God. So I think we have some promising things uh, coming up here. Verse 4. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. Hmm. Now, we can all agree. When you hear noises at night, it's kind of freaky. Uh, if, you, you know, if you're a kid and you think you have some noises or some interruptions at night, you typically go and bother your parents. And if you're a parent, it's kind of freaky when you're trying to sleep and a kid is breathing on your face. It's, it's just, just weird. Uh, but Samuel, he probably took care of Eli and he's helped out the old man who can't see. He thinks, oh, here goes Samuel. He's calling me. I mean, Eli's calling me. So Samuel runs and says, What's up, Eli? And he's like, I didn't call you, man. Go back to bed. Verse 6. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you call me. But he said, I didn't call. My son, lie it all again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, last week we saw Hophni and Phinehas who were told did not know the Lord. That's not what this means for Samuel. This simply means that Samuel is learning the truth of God and his word, and he's not yet heard the Lord in a personal way. So he doesn't recognize the Lord speaking. So let's not clump Samuel with the evil priest Hophni and Phinehas. That's not, that's not what's going on here. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to him, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So Eli's catching on. He's like, Oh, God is speaking to you. So now go back and let God speak to you. And when he speaks to you, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I love that. That is a great disposition on one who wants to hear God. Okay, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. I've been hearing you with my ears, but now I want to hear you with my heart. And that, that's, I mean, underline that, circle that, whatever. That's what we want. We want God to speak. I, I would love to have this disposition in my heart constantly. It says, okay, speak, Lord. I'm ready. Whatever you want to say, yes, that is good. That's the disposition that I want. But I don't always have it. And I can be so far off. But I want that heart. And I'm sure you want it too, not just for 10 years or for 10 months, but you want God to tell, speak 10 months in the next 10 minutes. What do you want to say to me? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to help you to hear God better. All right? So what I'm going to do, this is a great text. I'm going to take a little sermon time out. I do this occasionally where I just stop. And I want to help you on a daily basis think of two practical ways to hear God. God's speaking to you, all right? I'm going to share with you two things that I do. You can ignore them, adjust them, adapt them, do what you want, all right? Here's, I want to hear God daily, 
I do. I want to hear him speaking to me through his word. I just want to hear what he has to say. So here, here's what I, I do. And it's not complicated at all. So when, when I want to hear God speak from his word, when I come to the word, I don't want to figure out what I have to read. You ever do that in the Bible? Like, oh, I know I should read the Bible. What am I going to read today? I have no idea. You ever get like that? I don't want to do that because I, I just don't know what to do. So I want to have a plan. But I, I, I don't really just want to have a Bible reading plan. For me, I, I even want it simpler than that. So I have a Bible that is the plan so that I can consistently read chunks of the Bible consistently throughout the years. And so this is the Bible I use to, at home. It's really simple. So it's called the one-year Bible. It's just simply has the Bible broken up into chunks. And for those of you who are really don't know what you should read, just whatever date you were on, turn to that date and read it. It's really simple. So that's, I know, really simple. Second thing we have to do, what I do, is that I don't just have the Bible that is the plan, but I want God to speak to me. I need to ask him to talk to me through the word. And this is where it gets difficult because my heart's not always ready. And so I learned years ago a certain prayer from a guy named John Piper who created something called I-O-U-S. And I think it's so important that I put it in your bulletin. I'm going to share it with you. And this is just a simple prayer that I prayed before we got into the Word this morning, that I pray before I read the Word. It's really, really simple. Let me share it with you. It starts with I. It's a prayer. It says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Good prayer, right? Because when I come to the Word, my heart is everywhere. Okay, Lord, hone me in on your testimonies. Second thing I pray is, oh, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. Sometimes I can read the word and it doesn't seem too wonderful to me. So I'm asking God to open my eyes so I can see his word is wonderful. And then you, unite my heart to fear your name. I often have a divided heart. I say, Lord, make my heart centered on you. And the last one is S, because I want joy. Satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love that I may be glad and rejoice all my days. God, I want to be satisfied in you, in your love. So this is the way that I daily want to hear God. And I think that as we start to daily hear God speaking to us through his word, this, this goes together as we're trying to make these bigger decisions in life. So when we say, God, next 10 years, next 10 months, what am I supposed to be doing my big decisions? We want to be hearing him daily for the next 10 minutes. And what he has to say to us as we walk with him and respond to his word on a daily basis, we want the disposition of Samuel where we simply say, okay, speak for your servant is listening. But here's the deal. When you start reading this word and God starts speaking to you, Sometimes it's like Samuel. The word is not always, always um, upbeat and chipper. Because if you're just picking passages that make you feel good, that's not hearing from God. That's why I think it's important to read the, the entire word on a consistent basis. Because there could come to some passage where you're going to hear a hard word from the Lord that you need to hear. Now Samuel, the first time God speaks to him, it's a word of judgment. Let's look at it. Back to the text. Time in. Here we go. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, 
I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. This is a repeat of what we saw last week. The Lord is going to decimate the house and lineage of Eli because of his wicked sons. They were evil priests who treated the Lord's worship with contempt, and they sexually abused the women workers. They were blaspheming God, and we are told that there is no atonement, there is no forgiveness possible because they were so far of God in the hardness of their heart. And what's really hard to, diff- and, uh, to understand from this passage, not understand, but to, to accept, is that Eli is the one here being rebuked because he's culpable, for he did not restrain his sons. But he was a passive man and let their sin slide. Eli knew the word. But he didn't follow through and discipline his sons because he was a passive man. Now, I know some of you men come from families with fathers who are very passive. They don't want to talk about hard things. They don't want to deal with hard things. They want to ignore them and put them off for another time. What typically happens is this passiveness, you want to call it that, gets passed on down to their sons. And if their sons are passive men, what do they do? They pass that on down to their sons. And then you can have a generational, I don't know, I don't talk about generational curses, so some of that gets silly. But you can have generation after generation after generation who are just passive, passive men. And in here, you may have had that passed on to you. But guess what? It can end with you. In the month of February, we're having a men's retreat. It's called Men Do Not Retreat. Men Don't Retreat. And one of the things that men don't retreat from is, is facing hard issues, sin, relationships, jobs that are difficult, gospel risk. And so this, this morning, I want to talk to the men, and all the women, of course, but men, one of the things I want to encourage you to stop being passive on is, is facing your addiction. I know it, you may have ignored the, the uh, little slide up there in the announcement that after the service, the second service, we're having a seminar of sorts helping you face and work through your addiction, whatever it may be. And I don't know what it is. And this is for women too. But this is what a lot of you will be tempted to do. Nothing. Passive. Like if I came up to you guys, those of you who have an addiction, which is a lot of you, right? And I say, I think you should go to this seminar today. It's talking about addictions. And maybe you can start addressing this addiction you have. You may say to me, well, no, I'm the pastor. You wouldn't tell me that. But the reason why you would probably miss it is because most of you might be watching the Bears game. So I'm like, all right, deal with the addiction. And you're like, maybe in the future. Because i got to watch the Bears game. 
if you're a guy who wants to hear God speak to you, you cannot have that disposition. You cannot do that. You cannot quit ignoring these huge areas of your life that's cutting you off from God speaking truth to you. It's hurting your relationships because you're being passive and not dealing with it. That's got to end. That can end today. You're not going to have your addiction all figured out. I'm saying start dealing with it. Do not be like this guy, Eli. Just ignore stuff. Passive. And pass it on to the next generation. We want God to speak to us. But if we're not responding to his word, he's going to stop speaking. Keep going. Verse 15. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Hmm. Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Samuel was a little timid, right? Because this is a hard word. He was afraid to tell Eli. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, what did God tell you? Oh, he just spoke about your impending judgment. And that's a hard word to speak. It says he's afraid to tell Eli the vision. Why? Because he, he loves Eli. But after a little threatening, Eli drags it out of him. And Samuel spoke the truth. And I, you know it. sometimes God's truth, sometimes his word has these hard edges and we must not ignore it, but speak it. But when we speak it, we're often going to be like Samuel where we have a little bit of fear, hesitancy, but it's also mixed with compassion. So just think about the good news of Jesus that we speak. Uh, we want to speak it to people in our family, people that we know at work. And w- when we approach them, we're like, oh, I, I want to tell them, but I'm timid. I'm, I'm fearful, but I love them because I have to tell them. Because the word of God, the, the gospel, has good news, but it also has bad news. But let me just tell you, if it didn't have bad news, then the good news doesn't make sense. And so when we speak the gospel, share our faith tell others about Jesus, it's going to be a little mixture of, oh, I'm scared to death, with compassion and love for their salvation. So it will go like this. I'm going to speak to those uh, in here who know Jesus, those who don't know Jesus. This is, this is our gospel message that comes with hard words in it. It goes like this. If, here's the gospel story. One of the ways you could tell it. And it goes like this. Um, God is the good king. Sticking with First Samuel, God is the king. And uh, We, his subjects, starting with uh, Adam and Eve, decided that we would make better kings than God. And so we rebelled against God. And the king's wrath is upon us. And as we're speaking this truth to our friends, we would say the king's wrath and anger is against us that if we die and stand before the king, his judgment will be one of hell and condemnation and separation forever. Now that's a hard word to say. But we also must tell this good news that the king one day decided to come to earth. And King Jesus died in the place of his rebellious subjects. The king went to the cross. 
and he took on the sin of us who rebelled against the, the true king. He was crucified. He was buried. He was bearing the wrath. And then he rose again. And what we're saying now, if you will repent of your self-rule, if you will repent of trying to play king and acknowledge the true king, you can be forgiven. You can be declared righteous. You can be accepted by the true king forever. That is a good word. And yet it comes with a little bit of fear because it's, it's a hard word. But it's a mixture of compassion. And so we speak it just like Samuel had to speak it to Eli. Well, look at the way our passage finishes up. Let's go ahead and do that. Verses 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Not only is Samuel this priest, but he's a prophet. And did you see that? That none of his words fell to the ground, which means that what he said came to pass because it was the word of the Lord. And the Lord kept speaking to Samuel, and he in turn spoke the truth to Israel. We should see that things are about to change for Israel because one has come on the scene that is ready to respond to God's word. Because in grace, God is speaking to Samuel. Samuel's taking the word into his life. And Samuel is speaking the word to Israel. And it's a movement of grace. As his word has free reign in Samuel's life. And his word is starting to have free reign in Israel's life. And the nation is soon to repent. And it's what we want in our own lives. It's what we want in our own church. For God's grace to have this free reign. We want God's grace to have this free reign as we respond to his word. We want his grace to have free reign as his word comes to us. And we go, okay, God, I love a 10-year plan. I would love a 10-month plan. But let's just deal with the next 10 minutes in my heart. And that's what's going to happen. God will shape your heart as his word has free reign. God will shape your lives as his word starts to get inside you and change you by his Holy Spirit. And that's what we want. So let, let's do this here this morning, right? Let's do it. It goes like this. God, you just tell me what you want me to do, and, I, and I'll do it. Is, is it. If that's you, say, God, whatever you want me to do, you just tell me, and I'll do it. And I'm not just talking about the 10-year plan or the 10-month plan. I'm talking about, yes, also for the next 10 minutes. Because if you start responding to God's word more immediately and not be passive and put it off, you start responding more immediately, God will start shaping you. And these big decisions will come into play like majors and marriage and career. They'll come into play at all the right time. But it's got to start with this daily God's word speaking and shaping our lives. So I'm going to leave you with this picture of a, of a blank check. 
This past week, we almost gave a blank check to somebody because we didn't know the amount that we were supposed to write, but we ended up not doing it. But there have been times we've, we've given someone a blank check because we trust them, right? Just, just write in the amounts. Everything else is signed and ready to roll. Just write the amount in. And I, I just want you to think about that with God. Can you imagine just get, giving God a check of your life? Just go ahead and sign it. Here you go, God. You put whatever you want to put on it because I trust you. So God, with my life, whatever you want to do, with the next 10 years, whatever, write it in, whatever. The next 10 months, yep, put that there too. Even the next 10 minutes. And that blank check concept comes into play on a daily basis. We come before him each day. God, your word, speak to us. And this morning, his word did speak. His truth spoke. Now, how are you going to respond? What is your response? This blank check. Here you go, God. We're about to pray. Here, God, whatever you want to do. Maybe you need to deal with an addiction. Quit being passive. Here you go, God. Let's deal with that. Maybe you need to repent in some area. Let's repent. Maybe you need to reconcile. Let's reconcile. Maybe you need to have a renewed commitment to him and to his word. Then commit. Or maybe there's just an area of the fresh faith. You need a fresh faith. You need to step out to do what he's been calling you to do all along. Whatever it is, let's go to this time right now and say, Okay, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. And now that we've heard, may we respond.